Lord, as we have already sung and prayed, may the mind of Christ our Savior dwell in us from day to day, this day. Lord, give us your heart and your mind as we reflect on your ancient words. Teach us. Teach us to stand rooted, grounded in truth, in hope, and in love. It's in your name, Lord Christ, that we pray. Amen. You may go ahead and be seated. In 1992, a humble and up to that point fairly unknown cellist named Vedran Smelovich sat in the bombed-out market square in the city of Sarajevo, and he played a haunting piece of music called Albanoni's Adagio in G Minor. And he sat there day after day for 22 days in the midst of the siege of Sarajevo, a siege that would go on for over a year. But he sat 22 days to honor the 22 souls that were slain in the bombing of that market square as they had gathered for a bread line, actually. And the world watched and was inspired and thought, how could a man be so brave to sit literally in the midst of a, a crumbling, uh, dilapidated, falling apart war zone where he might get struck yet again and play that gorgeous piece of music. It was a powerful act of defiance and a powerful act of hope. Hope that told the world, this is not all that there is, right? Death and decay and violence shouldn't get the last word. So I'll point to something greater, some, some greater beauty. Now that act, it inspired, um, it inspired pieces of music that were commissioned in his name, it uh, inspired short stories, it inspired a U2 concert, it inspired a novel called The Cellist of Sarajevo. Because again, the world looked on this act and thought, how is that possible? How could you do that? How can one maintain such bold, defiant hope, even in the face of such death and violence? In Psalm 137, the exiled temple musicians who were carried off to Babylon actually lament when their captors required of them a song. Their reply was, how could we sing a, a song of the Lord in a foreign land? That's the rub, isn't it? Two responses to pain and suffering and violence. One, I think, is rather the, the natural response the majority voice that says, how can I sing at a time like this? Why should I when all hope is gone? The other, this bold sort of minority report that says, this is not all that is. And so I will make music and point in hope to something above and beyond the wreckage of present circumstances. And Jesus promised his followers that in this world we would have trouble. So in the face of such troubles, 
whether it is the global crises that come to our eyes and our ears daily in the news, or troubles within our families or within our personal lives, or within our own hearts and minds that struggle against sin, the flesh, and the devil, how do we maintain hope? Enter another psalm, the psalm of David, which we prayed together this morning, Psalm 27. Smailovich played his instrument in hope and defiance to the murderous violence besieging him and his people. King David sang and prayed Psalm 27 in the face of much the same. And in so doing, the scripture gives us our own cellist of Sarajevo-like response to the pain, the difficulties, the hardships, the out-and-out attacks that we face as the people of God even today. So turn your attention with me to our psalm. And let's sit at David's feet for a time and learn. Learn of hope. For if there was ever a man who could teach us what it means to sing and pray in the face of opposition, it was David. Verse 1 encapsulates the premise of this whole prayer. David prays, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Like a lone chalice sitting in the center of a bombed-out war zone, David faces his opposition, the very real enemies who were looking to destroy him, and he asks, Who am I supposed to be afraid of? I have the Lord on my side. Just as he began his career, so to speak, Uh, facing down a military foe who was literally larger than life, right, Goliath, David again reminds the people of God, it is the Lord who fights, not I. If the Lord is for us, who can stand against us, as Paul will say generations later? If the Lord is really the light that illumines my life, if I really trust and rest in his salvation, what am I supposed to be afraid of again? This is far from some Pollyanna view of life that ignores bleak realities in favor of positivism, though. This has more teeth in it than a, a Buddhist denial of suffering as illusory. Just like we saw in the Beatitudes last week for those who were here, the scriptures are very realistic and very much so grounded when it comes to suffering and brokenness and opposition. David names his foes four different times throughout this psalm. In verse 2, he says, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. He goes on into verse 3. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not feel fear. No war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Then again, verse 6, he says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. And finally, again in verse 12, he says, Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and they breathe out violence. And we know from the history of the Old Testament that these were not just figures of speech or metaphors that David is using here. 
as a military leader who, frankly, did not shy from standing with his men in the front lines in a day and an age when you literally looked into the eyes of the enemy that was bent on your destruction. David knew what it was to face enemies. He was a king. Yes, perhaps the greatest king Israel would ever know, but what is that old saying? If nobody thinks you're a jerk, you're probably not an effective leader. If everybody thinks you're a jerk, you probably are a jerk, right? That's, that's how that ends. But David was an effective leader. And so he had enemies, even within his own court. There were certainly those within David's own capital, his own regime, who made you know, those little sort of dark corner side deals that get depicted in all of our you know, beloved uh, political intrigue shows. Toward the end of his life, his own son tries to lead a coup and seize power before it can be passed on to his brother. So David was a man who knew what it is to have enemies, literal enemies, even enemies who masquerade as friends. He even bewails in verse 10, for my mother and my father have forsaken me. Can you imagine? But the Lord will take me in. In short, there is very little in the realm of opposition that you or I might think of that David did not face. In fact, he faced a lot of very visceral opposition that, Lord willing, we will never have to know. So this is not a flowery blowing of air that David's doing here. David relates to us in pretty much any and every situation in life that we may find ourselves in. Any version of feeling opposed, besieged, forsaken, let down that we can come up with. David's speaking to that because David experienced that. David experienced it all and yet he puts pen to parchment and gives us this witness to the salvation and light of God even in the face of serious hostility. In the midst of myriad opposition and suffering, David leads us into faithful response. Now, first stroke, verse three can come off sounding almost like a, a sort of swaggering triumphalism, if you were to take it out of context. context. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And certainly, that would come off as sort of a chest-thumping bravado if we thought for a moment that David were implying that he can stand up against anything these enemies throw at him. But remember who David is. Remember what his posture has been throughout his entire military and political career. This is not David smacking his chest saying, come at me, bro. This is not David saying, I've got broad shoulders, I can take it, I've got a thick skin. Because David's confidence is not in himself. David goes on, says in verse four, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. There is the hinge that this whole psalm swings on. There is the source of David's confidence. It's not in his crown or his sword. It's not in his 
own throne in his newly built palace. It's in the Lord's tabernacle, the tent that housed the manifest presence of God in the midst of his people. That is the place, David says, he longs to be because that is the source of his sense of well-being, his security, his confidence. David can poetically laugh in the face of danger, as we might say, because he has confidence in the God who dwells with his people. And David relishes the privilege of knowing God, seeking God, being with God in that place. He'll go on to say, for he, God, will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Again, he rejoices. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Friends, we do not often consider the radical, the powerful strength that lies in the nature of worship and prayer in the face of darkness, in the face of the darkness all around us. But for David, worship and prayer was the single greatest weapon in his arsenal with which to defy and even harrow the enemy. The second week of my first semester of seminary education, my Old Testament survey class was interrupted by the dean coming in and telling us that there had been a terrorist attack in New York City and Washington, D.C., involving airplanes, the World Trade Center, and the Pentagon. Rather than encourage us to, you know, just, just wanted you to know, get back to your studies. Rather than just saying, so you know what, class is dismissed for the day, go and be with your families. He said, come to the chapel where we found our entire faculty, staff, student body, and actually a lot of spouses as well gathered. We prayed, we worshiped. The next day we gathered again and we chanted the great litany, which some of you experienced a couple months ago. And we broke bread and made Eucharist. Worship and prayer is the means whereby we, the people of God, ground ourselves in hope and defy the enemy, death and destruction. Gathering here together with other brothers and sisters and offering up a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to God in the midst of reports of disease and war and violence and cultural fracturing and political posturing and yada, yada, yada. This is actually a radical act of protest that we are engaged in. This is our act of singing in the face of the enemy. We are chalice of Sarajevo when we gather on Sunday mornings, week in and week out. We remind ourselves and we declare to the world, the Lord is my light, my salvation, of whom then shall I be afraid? 
Week in and week out, we experience what David prays, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in level paths. Each week we proclaim a hope that would enable us to say with David, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not just an airy fairy hope away in the sky by and by. The goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That would strengthen our hearts to wait for the Lord, to be strong, to take heart, take courage. Because each week we recount the victory of God in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Death, the final enemy, has been defeated. Christ is victorious. And he's in our corner. So truly, whom then shall we fear? What's more, to fully appreciate what God has given us to maintain our hope and wait upon him, we also need to appreciate, we need to, to look and realize David's words in light of where he and where we differ in our place in the history and salvation of God. Because for us, the presence of God is not relegated to a single locus. God is no longer only found in his temple. He is not even only found in the church, only accessible for a couple of hours on Sunday. God is. God is everywhere present. His spirit is with us at all times and in all places. For those of us who have responded to him with faith and received baptism, he promises that his manifest presence by his Holy Spirit dwells within us. So to respond with strength and confidence in the face of spiritual or physical opposition doesn't re require us to run to Jerusalem or even to the closest church where we can go and pray. So for us, when we hear David's words, I would dwell in your presence, Lord, doesn't mean just get to church as often as you can. You know, it doesn't mean show up on Monday morning rather than face into that serious situation that you need to face into, go to church instead. It means recognize that you carry the presence of the living God with you to dwell in that place with you. Now, our corporate gathering as the body of Christ has a role to play, an important one, because this is the place where the Lord does teach us his ways, where we interact with our brothers and sisters who are also seeking to walk, following him on his level paths. This is the place where we join together in the sacrament that not only proclaims the Lord's victory, but also really, truly fills us, feeds us, feeds our hope, strengthens our courage, heals our brokenness, nourishes our souls. This is the place where we are reminded of the gifts and the tools that the Lord has given us to stand in the face of all that opposes us. But our hearts and minds on Monday morning, those are the besieged market squares where we have to go day by day and stand in that hope. Those are the places where we are assailed by the enemy. And therefore, that is the place the Lord promises to meet us as we wait upon him.
That is the place where we are trained, taught, and nourished to wait for the Lord, to maintain hope, to defy death and corruption, to stand confident, not in ourselves, not on our broad shoulders, our keen intellects, and our general likability, but in the God who is our light and our salvation. So let us pray. And Lord, with your servant David, we would commend our path to you. Lord, with your servant David, we trust that you will hide us in your shelter, that you will hear when we cry aloud because you are gracious in answer. Because you have not only commanded us to seek your face, but you have given us the way to do it. That you have given us the confidence to stand rooted and grounded in reality, but with our eyes firmly fixed in hope on you. For you are our light. You are our salvation. And so to you we give glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I just want to ask, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come among your people. And in this quiet moment with you, I invite you to speak to our hearts, Lord. First of all, for any of us here who recognize the struggle that I described as St. Augustine's testimony. Any who recognize, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in that place, still either still in that place or in that place again of the suffocating crawl space of myself. Lord, by your spirit, would you give the grace to seek grace? Lord, would you set 
any captives here this morning free. And you have not experienced redemption. Redeem, Lord, redeem. For any of us, Lord, this morning who have known that grace in our lives, and yet as we have gone along on the road of faith, I've come to recognize, oh yeah, I, I picked up that shackle again, didn't I? Been just you know, trying it on for size to see if it still fits. And guess what, it does. Lord, give us the grace of confession. experience the redemption, the release of absolution. And Lord, lastly, I would pray for any of us who recognize that we're walking along that path and thinking, yeah, 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 we took care of that in the past. No, I haven't been trying to take up those shackles again. Boy, I sure don't have any joy in my faithful endurance. Kind of running short on patience right now. Lord, would you pour out the gift of your spirit, your promise that the life of your kingdom is not a life of drudgery, but a life of true freedom. Restore to that soul, Lord, the joy of your salvation. Renew, Lord, right spirits within each of us this morning, we pray. Amen.